I, I have no more dad jokes or dad things to tell you. I should just tell you that my son is becoming jealous. So if you got a Bible, go to Jonah chapter three. Um, uh, before we jump in the word, I wanna, I wanna take a moment and pray. Um, I recognize uh, this feels like a, an important moment for this week of camp. Um, as you've been seeing the live production, as you've been worshiping, and even as we get into the word, like there's this reality that we've been walking towards this, uh, this gospel message. And, and my hope is that you've been hearing the gospel every, everything that you're doing, right? Every breakout, every song, every session, even seeing it in the story. But uh, my, my hope is to make it as clear as possible. And so I just want to take a moment and pray and kind of maybe even reset us a little bit uh, because I want to make sure that our, our hearts and our ears are tuned to hear what the Lord wants to do. And so can we pray for just a second? before we jump into the word. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, um, though Jojo was saying it as an insult, the reality of the, of the depth of your grace for us is that none of us do deserve it. And yet you generously gave it. And so tonight, for the person who maybe those, those insults that Jojo was flinging around, uh, maybe they stuck a little bit more than they were supposed to, would they also hear just even more loudly, your matchless grace. It's in your name I pray. Amen? Amen. Jonah chapter 3 uh, says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second, the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published, and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when the Lord saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so as we jump into this here, I, I just want to think about this in two blocks. Uh, maybe, maybe the way to think about this evening is to think about God being the God of second chances. Um, because what we're going to see is we're going to see a second chance for Jonah, but we're also going to see uh, what is going to amount to a second chance for Nineveh. And so as we jump in, one of the things that I, I, I want you to notice is each chapter has started with this language of somebody being sent to do something. Chapter one, Jonah was being sent. Uh, in the middle of chapter one, the winds, the waves were being sent. Then the, the fish was being sent. And now we get back to chapter three. And maybe as we read chapter three, you're like, man, this feels exactly like chapter one. And it's supposed to. It's this moment of the Lord reinstating, reinvigorating, saying all over again, hey, Jonah, I'm calling you to do something. Rise up, quit descending, rise up and go to Nineveh and declare to them the message that I'm giving you. Now, what's interesting is Jonah does it this time. 
But in Jonah doing it, uh, I, I'm not sure it's quite as faithful as it might seem on the surface. So he certainly goes, he certainly preaches the message, but it's interesting because the writer of Jonah gives us some details that probably don't feel like they're really all that significant details. So for one, he says that um, this exceedingly great city, Nineveh, it's, it's three days breath, or it's a distance of three days. Now, unless you are like doing your training regimen, trying to get ready for your next 5K, you actually don't really care how big Nineveh is in terms of its distance. And so why would he tell you that? There's, there's a theory. One theory is that you needed to know that. So you needed to know that from where Jonah landed on the ground after being vomited out by the fish, that you know that it took him three days to get there. But since we don't know where he landed, that distance doesn't seem to be all that, that important either. So if we don't care about the distance and we don't care about the size of the city, why is this idea of three days important? Well, if we remember just back to what we heard this morning, there is this, uh, this three-day period for Jonah in the belly of the fish. And during that three-day period of being in the belly of the fish, this is when Jonah comes to his senses, realizes the mercy of God, begs out for the Lord to not let him feel abandoned, not let him feel the judgment of the sin that he deserved, and to recognize that God has mercy and call out to him. And so what he received in that three-day period is a beautiful picture of God's mercy. And I think the writer is doing this thing of putting this three days next to three days that you receive three days mercy and for you to comprehensively preach the message of that God told you to all the people of Nineveh, it would take you three days. And then what we read is, and so Jonah made one day's journey. Now I am not a math major, but what I do know is that one is less than three. What I do know is that it feels like that the three days of mercy that Jonah received, Jonah wasn't willing to give. That it would have taken him three days to comprehensively share the message with those people of Nineveh, and he was like, one day is good enough. Here's the other reason why I question how faithful Jonah was in terms of, of the way that he shared his message. Uh, if you read this, uh, I, I don't typically count the words and sentences in my Bible, but it might be, it might be helpful for this one. Um, at the end of verse 4, he says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight-word sermon. Some of you are like, Mike, have you considered eight-word sermons? <laughs> if you read this in the original language was Hebrew, it's actually only five words in Hebrew. And so to come to a people hoping that God would rescue them and give them five words, it's like, I didn't go that far into the city and I didn't even give you that much language. Figure it out yourselves, guys. But at the same time, in the middle of what feels like an insufficient giving of God's grace, there's something beautiful in that. The Lord is giving this warning about the penalty of sin and I want you guys to grasp that because what, what I don't want to happen is as you read the story of Jonah, what you hear is if you don't do things the Lord's way, watch out. But I do think that is the payment of sin. In fact, the book of Romans will talk about it this way, that in Romans 6, it would say that the wages of sin is death. And so wages is another term for this is the paycheck that you get. This is what you earn when you operate in this. And so the reality is that that's what sin pays off, that on the 1st and the 15th, here's what, the, what paycheck you get from sin. It's destruction, death. It's, it's not the fulfillment that you think that it's going to be. But what I love is that the Lord is kind enough to give a warning and say that if you keep going this way, Nineveh, this is what's going to happen to you. 
You know that the Lord doesn't have to do that, right? Like think about all the times that the Lord didn't do that. And so uh, this language of 40 days until, 40 days is always important in the scriptures because the 40 days is the shaping of something. It, it points to the, 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 the building out of something. And so um, if you read, we've talked about this before, you're the story of Noah. There's 40 days and 40 nights of flooding, but there's not warnings beforehand. In fact, the Lord says to Noah, the rest of your generation is wicked. You build a boat, you bring in your family, you bring in animals, you shut up the doors. And when they're screaming, trying to get in, you tell them there's going to be 40 days and 40 nights of the Lord's wrath through rain. There is no warning. When you watch uh, what happens in the book of Exodus, and you may not know this, like the book of Exodus, there's these 10 plagues. And these 10 plagues aren't like, like these cool parlor tricks of the Lord being like, hey, watch this. It's the Lord assaulting all the things that the Egyptians worshiped and said, you think that's powerful? I'm so much more powerful. There was no warning. They just woke up one day and their cattle was dead. They just woke up one day and the, and the river uh, Nile that they saw as the source of their life had turned to blood. Like there's, there's no warnings for them. And so for God to say to this exceedingly wicked city, Nineveh, I want to warn you, 40 days and then you'll be overthrown. Though Jonah's saying this, and it seems like he's given the bare minimum. This is a message that turns the heart of the people. We, we see that. Um, verse 5 is a summary statement. We see in 6 through 10 how it plays out. Verse 5 is powerful because it says the people of Nineveh believed God. Like, like, I want you to get that because it doesn't say the people of Nineveh, after working through all their issues... The people of Nineveh, after fixing all the stuff that they broke it, the people of Nineveh, after sending cards of apology to all the nations that they overthrew and like unburying the people that they buried in sand to try and get them to be dehydrated, after they fixed all of their mess, then they believed God. It also doesn't say that after they fixed all of their mess that the Lord was then kind to them. It says that they heard the message that the way that they'd been living after evil was leading to their destruction and they turned from that by saying that they would believe God and they called a fast and mourned from the greatest to the least. And then starting in verse six, we see this picture of them entering into this opportunity of a second chance. And so it says this, the word reached the king of Nineveh which is interesting to me because if Jonah did the bare minimum of one day's journey in with his five words, eight words in English, I don't imagine that he walked into the king's palace and be like, hey man, I gotta have a conversation with you about what's going on. Like, so that means somebody who heard from Jonah told somebody else who told somebody else and it made it all the way to the king. Like this message of what God was going to do spread in this viral way that it got to the highest person in the nation. And it said that when the king heard it, that he took off his robes, that he got off his throne, that he put on sackcloth, that he sat down in ashes. And that, that's a picture of, of mourning and grief in the scriptures. And so that feels like it's really demonstrative, right? Like, you, like when you're upset, like you probably don't like walk into the house and like start throwing off clothes, like find a burlap sack and put it on and like, like take stuff out of it, like take dirt out of the yard, and start throwing it on yourself. Like your mom would be like, what is wrong with you? And why are you messing with my flowers? But it was this sense of mourning and grief and despair. But it was also really unique for the king of Nineveh to do something like this. The king of Nineveh, other than getting ready for bed, didn't take off his robes. The only time he would ever take off his robes 
if he was in a situation where there was a threat on his life from a political enemy. And what he would do is that he would take off his robes and that he would find some prisoner of war or some slave and say, hey, you get to be king for 100 days. And he'd put his robes on him. He'd give him, he would give him his own slaves. He'd give him his own queen. He'd let him sit on the throne. He'd let him have all the majesty and power for 100 days thinking, if somebody's going to get killed, it's going to be you. And so for 100 days, he would hide from what was coming from him and let somebody else take the responsibility of what he was supposed to receive. And so it's mind-blowing that the king of Nineveh, whose pattern is, when trouble comes, I run the other way, that this time he wasn't taking off his robe to go hide. He was taking off his robe to own the fact that this sin was real and the evil that was coming to him was severe, and he was willing to own it instead of running from it. What would that look like for you and for I? If we heard the reality that the way that sin, pins, that the way that sin pays off is that it dis- it's destructive and causes death, and instead of running and hiding from it, we step into it and own that that's true for us. And then he declares a fast. If you're not experienced with fasting, you may not know what that looks like, but it's, it's refraining from something to, to move your heart closer and posture towards God. And he says, Everybody, every man, every woman, every child, livestock, flocks, herds. Now, I don't know how many of you are pet owners, but when was the last time you could convince your dog not to eat out of his bowl? <laughs> That's how serious they were about if the Lord is going to punish us for our sin, how do we turn his hearts? Even our livestock and animals need to not eat right now. And so maybe, just maybe, the Lord will be merciful to us, and instead of doing what he said he would do, that he would relent from the wrath that he promised. And I love when you read verse 10 that it said, when the Lord saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Like there's this picture of them getting the second chance. You saw it in, in the production that, that JoJo's like, all right, here it comes. Like I don't know if JoJo sat there for 40 days waiting for this to happen, but he was convinced that they were going to be destroyed. And the Lord's like, instead of giving them destruction, I'm gonna give them mercy. Instead of giving them the exact thing that they do deserve, I'm going to give them a grace, a mercy, a a freedom, a forgiveness that they don't deserve in any way, shape, or form. Maybe that feels like it's unbelievable to you in a biblical text, and so maybe let me give you a real-world scenario in which that happened. Uh, You may not know this, but uh, for a very long time, the nation of South Africa was divided by this evil system of, uh, of, of putting people at different levels called apartheid. And after apartheid was moved away, uh, Nelson Mandela, who was the president of the nation, uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, uh, and and other leaders in the nation decided they were gonna build this, what they called a Truth and Reconciliation Council to help the nation heal from all the pain that it had. And so what they would do is they would just set up a court and people who, because of apartheid, had sinned against other people, they would bring them in and give them the opportunity to own what they did. And the person that they did something against had the right to say, okay, you need to receive this penalty. 
And in particular, there was an officer, his last name was DeBurks, and DeBurks um, had several years, I think 18 years before the day of this hearing, gone to a household, dragged a young man out of the household, had killed him and burned him alive and left the ashes in front of his parents' house. I know that's graphic. And then several years later, went back to that same household, drug the father of that young man, the husband of the household, out of the house, uh, brutally murdered and killed him, using his authority as an officer to do so. And so that day he came in and he had to stand before the woman who he had taken her son and taken her husband. And he confessed all the things that he did. And they turned to her and they said, what do you want to be done to him? And she said, well, you need to know that I'm a Christian. And because I've been forgiven of much, I can forgive you of much. But I do have one request of you. I'm not an old woman, I have a long life to live. And so once a week, will you come to my home and allow me to do your laundry and cook you meals? Because I don't have a husband, and I don't have a son to do those things for. When that happened, the courtroom began to erupt into singing the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. And like, you can imagine how everybody in the room was feeling, and the only person that didn't live up to expectations was DeBert, because he fainted when he heard the woman's response. That's the level of grace that the Lord has for you. That though you should receive his wrath, instead you receive his mercy. That instead of you being an enemy of the state, that should receive the full penalty of your sin. But because of Jesus, you now get to be invited, not just to not be an enemy, but to be a friend and to be part of the family. I could spend the entire night telling you stories of people in the scriptures that when they encountered the mercy of God, that it wasn't just a get out of jail free card, but it was an invitation to be part of the family. And what we see in this picture of Nineveh is that instead of being destroyed like they were supposed to be destroyed, that the Lord offers them a mercy by relenting from the destruction that they deserved. But let's, let's talk about this. Because maybe you're like, yeah, but there's a whole lot of stuff that I need to make up for. But he doesn't make Nineveh do that. Or maybe your bigger worry is, well, what if I can't keep this up going forward? Um, we've been singing a song about the joy of the Lord being our strength. Um, that actually comes from the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 8, verse 12. Um, the story in Nehemiah is that the people have gone into exile because they have been unfaithful to the Lord. And he allows them to come back and they're rebuilding the city, rebuilding the walls. And they have this moment after the walls have been rebuilt that Ezra, who's one of the, uh, one of the priests among them, comes out and he reads the book of the law to them. So he reads the Ten Commandments and all the things that they're supposed to be doing. Now, this actually happens earlier in the Bible. When it happens earlier in the Bible, everybody celebrates this. We're going to do that. We got this. And then the rest of the Bible just proves that we ain't got this. But when it happens in Nehemiah, and they hear this, they're heartbroken and they're like, that's why we're in the situation that we're in. That's why things are as messed up as they are. And so instead of being this jubilant moment of, man, God's done something awesome and we're back home and we've rebuilt our city, how do we move forward from here? Everybody's kind of hanging their heads low and grieving and mourning because they're like, we don't, we don't got this. And Nehemiah comes in, he's like, why are you mourning? 
You should be rejoicing. He was like, you should go and sacrifice the best meat and eat the fatty parts. And so like when you go to like Outback and you get a ribeye and it's got the marbling on it, he was like, you should eat the marbling too. Some of y'all don't, y'all don't like meat like that. I'm disappointed. <laughs> when you grow up and you start eating good steak, first of all, it needs to be medium. If it's anything more than that, it's a sin. Second of all, <laughs> steak's awesome. And if you're like, I'm from California and I'm vegan, I'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> and so he's like, eat the best parts. Eat the fatty parts. Like that's for celebration. And then he says to them, because you need to know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, here's the question. If you can't do something, wouldn't it be more, wouldn't it be more helpful to know that the strength of the Lord is your joy? Like if I came in here and said, hey, I've got this, uh, I don't even have to make this up. So this, morning, this afternoon, uh, there's a group of you guys that was building this snowman and made the largest bottom of a snowman that I've ever seen in my life. And so then you guys were making the middle portion of it. And I was like, hey, do you need help? And I walked over there like I was going to be able to help you. And we tried to pick it up. And I was like, nope, wrong. I'm not throwing out my back today. <laughs> and so finding something that I couldn't do, joy doesn't help me. It doesn't matter how excited I was about that, that snowball, snowball. If I don't have the strength, joy doesn't do anything for me. So it would have been more helpful for Nehemiah to say that the strength of the Lord is your joy. Because that would have been saying, oh, the Lord's got this so I can be happy instead of being sad. But he actually says the opposite on purpose because what he's trying to say is that the joy of being in relationship with the Lord and knowing that your sin is forgiven, that he's made a way for you when you don't deserve it, that that's actually the strength that you need to be faithful in the way that he's calling you to be. And so you that may be here saying, but I've been like Nineveh and I don't know how to not be Nineveh anymore. And not just because that's my broom hockey team name, which I will say, I'd be scared to play the Ninevites. Like they might get a little nasty. If that's the case, that all you've ever known how to do is be unfaithful and you don't know what it's like to follow the Lord and you're like, I can't respond to him because I can't keep up my end of the bargain, then can I tell you, we weren't just singing the joy of the Lord is my strength, oh, 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 because it sounds good. It's because it's what you need to hear that the Lord's joy and saving you is the strength that you need to be obedient to him. So this is what the Lord does. He gives you a mercy that doesn't make sense. And then it's not like he's like, all right, we done with that transaction? Good luck. That by the relationship that he has with you, he grows you and matures you to look more and more like Jesus. Like, like I, I just don't wanna assume that you understand the importance of Jesus. That Jesus doesn't just come on the scene and Matthew. That Jesus is the eternal son of God. That God is both three and one. And I know when I say that, that seems like it doesn't make sense. And you're like, look, you, you definitely are not a math major because three and one are not the same thing. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have always coexisted, always been eternal, always been equal. And at the same time, they are one. Like, like none of them is not God or a lesser God. They are all equally God. They are God. They are three. They are one. And the Son takes on human form, becomes fully human. Because the greatest problem of our sin is not just that it separates God from us, but it separates us from God. It means that there is this chasm that we cannot cross, that you on your best day, 
On the morning when you wake up and actually can find your Bible and you read it and you put it on TikTok with your little warm cup of coffee because you need the world to know that you're nailing it right now for Jesus. On your best day, you're, 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 it's not good enough. Now, for you who don't know the Lord, that for, for all the things that you do, maybe you're in honor society and you help old ladies across the street. Maybe you didn't cheat on your math test. Maybe you didn't punch your brother in the side of the head when he deserved to be punched in the side of his head. Even on those days, you and your own ability to try and make yourself right, for, right before God is not enough. Because it's not just being right for a moment, it'd be being perfect for all the days of your life. And no one has been able to pull it off. In fact, that's one of the saddest things about reading the scriptures is that you have all these characters, all these people, all these people like Jonah that you get to see their lives and they have these moments and some of these moments are awesome. Some of them get second chances and all of them end up dying because sin always wins. And then Jesus lives perfectly without sin and it gets sad because he's killed. And it feels like, man, he was our best shot. Like if Jesus can't do it, who's gonna do it? And then after three days, no accident. In fact, Jesus would quote this in Matthew 12 and he would say, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish, I'm gonna be in the grave for three days. And just like Jonah came out, I'm coming out. And when he comes out on the third day, it's not like, man, man, I got hit with a really crazy version of COVID and I like couldn't leave the house for three days. <laughs> Jesus was dead. He was dead, dead. And the spirit of God gives him life again. He comes out of the grave and it's not just like, oh man, he's been revived. It's I defeated sin so sin can no longer defeat you. And so Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. So when we talk about salvation, salvation is putting our hope in the thing that Jesus accomplished in the past to secure our future for us. Like, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Like, I don't have to worry about the struggles of tomorrow. I don't have to worry about what's coming down the road. Now, now I'm human, right? So I'm going to worry about human things. But in terms of where my soul is going to be, I have this promise because of what Jesus has accomplished that I don't have to worry on that day when I stand before God, he's not going to look at me and be like, well, you didn't do this. You were bad at this. You were awful at math. You had male pattern baldness. I can't let you in. <laughs> Some of y'all are laughing. It's coming for you. When I stand on that day, what he's gonna say is, I see Jesus. And I see what he did on your behalf. Come in. Your sin doesn't get wrath because it's been covered. I would turn from, that, from the anger towards sin and give you mercy. And this is the secure promise of everybody that puts their faith in Jesus. Those who, like Nineveh, believe God, believe the promise that he's given us through Jesus. And it's interesting because when Jesus says in Matthew 12 that, hey, hey, I'm going to be in the grave three days and I'm coming out just like Jonah came out. He said, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, the people of Nineveh are going to look at you and they're going to say, why didn't you trust him? And here's why I think that is because we have so much more than what they had. They got five words. You have 
the Spirit of God on the other side of the cross through the Word of God telling you, look at Jesus. He is the only way. Let me say a second thing that might jam you up. Maybe you're new to this and you're like, I don't understand all of this. Like, you're saying names of people in the Bible, and I'm like, you're like, like I, I've met a dude named Noah. Maybe, maybe you're in the youth group who Noah is your youth pastor. I got to meet Noah earlier. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know this story about Noah. You're throwing out these names, and I don't know what this stuff is. Like, I don't understand this well enough to be in. I had a man, his name's J.T. English. J.T. English has a Ph.D., um, and so, like, it, it doesn't even really matter what I say next, right? Like, he's got a Ph.D., which means he's really, really smart. Or he's got a lot of school debt, or both. <laughs> he's got a Ph.D. in systematic theology, which that, you're like, what is that? Systematic theology is taking um, things that are in the scriptures and building systems of thinking around ideas. And so like you, you build doctrines over understanding what the entire Bible says about salvation or angels or water or judgment. So like really brilliant about the Bible. Like if anybody's gonna stand on their knowledge of the Bible about anything, it's somebody who's got a PhD in systematic theology. And we were having a conversation, he looked me in the face and he said, you know that your faith is always gonna be better than your theology, right? I was like, what? He's like, you know you're always going to believe better than you understand. And that doesn't mean you don't keep growing and that you don't keep learning and that you don't learn to understand better, but what gets you in isn't that you can pass the Bible trivia quiz. You know who couldn't pass a Bible trivia quiz? Nineveh. They got five words! But they knew enough about the evil that they were living and how it displeased the heart of God that they believed God enough to say that if we would turn around, uh, the biblical word for that is repentance, turn away from the thing that is wrong and turn towards what is good, that if we would turn around from that, that the Lord might forgive us and set us free. That might be all you know. The only thing that you might understand is that Jesus makes a way for you to no longer be on the wrong side of the conversation. Believe that and trust him. Let me, let me maybe give you an eight-word sermon. Salvation belongs to God. Trust in him. And if you're here, and maybe you're like, I'm, I'm Nineveh. The way that I've lived is displeasing to God. The way that I've lived has been, Nineveh was known for building its own empire by crushing other people. Maybe you don't have an empire, but maybe you've been living in a world that, in a way that doesn't care about anybody else and it's just about you getting what you think is right. We could go down a laundry list of sins, but the reality is, um, whether it's what we're doing or sometimes even it's just the posture of our heart, um, we're bent towards sin. And if you haven't trusted Jesus, then on the day that you stand before God, you have to stand before him on your own merit. And I'm just going to tell you that none of us on our own merit are getting through. But for those who trust Jesus, we don't get to pound our chest and be like, man, look at how awesome I am. 
we get to raise our hand in humility and say, we needed Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. But yet there's no fear in us about tomorrow because we know that Jesus has made a way. And this is, uh, there's this doctrine, this heavy word for understanding of the scriptures called union with Christ. And it means you get what the son gets. And so when you read in the Bible that when God talks to Jesus and he says that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, if you are following Jesus, you get to hear this is my son or this is my daughter and I'm pleased with you. And maybe for some of you that blows your mind because even the relationship with your natural parents, you don't ever get to hear them say I'm pleased with you. What you hear from them is I'm not enough. But when you walk with Jesus, the Father's heart towards you, God the Father's heart towards you is, I'm pleased with you. I'm excited about you. I'm overjoyed in you. I want to say this, and then I want to give us an opportunity to respond. Uh, for a lot of years, I led college ministry, uh, young adult ministry, and I loved it. It's one of my, one of my uh, favorite seasons of my life. And there was a young lady um, extremely gifted, smart, worked a full-time job, was married, and was going to nursing school all at the same time, and was part of my volunteer leadership team, and was probably the best leader that I had. And one Friday morning, she was just on the brink of disaster, and so I met her at the church, and I'm like, what's going on with you? And she was like, I feel like I can't keep all the plates spinning. I'm trying to be a good wife, I'm trying to be a good student, I'm trying to be a good employee, I'm trying to be a good Christian, I'm trying to be a good leader, and there's so much going on and I don't feel like I could do all of it. I feel like one of the plates are going to fall. And so I was listening to her and I said, what if, what if one does? What happens? And she looked at me like, like I slapped somebody's baby or something. <laughs> Because she couldn't fathom, like, first of all, don't slap babies. Second of all, she was shocked that I would ask her such a ridiculous question about letting one of the plates fall. And I said, Why? I was like, I'm not telling you to, like, fail out of nursing school. I'm not telling you to be unfaithful to your husband or quit your job. But, but like, if you can't do something to the level that you think you can do it at, like, I think the world's going to be okay. And her response to me was, no, I have to be smart and accomplished and beautiful because when I was a little girl, my dad told me that I was smart and I was accomplished and, I was be and I'm beautiful. And I think that the heart of her dad was to encourage her in something. But what it did is it put this burden on her back of performance that was wearing her out. And some of you are exhausted not because you were out in the sun too long today and you only got a couple hours of sleep. You're exhausted because you've been putting on this performance with the entirety of your life, trying to prove yourself to be worthy, when all along God's been saying, salvation belongs to me. Trust in me. And that's all the worthiness that you need. And when I read chapter 3 of Jonah, my heart is lifted because there is nothing about Nineveh that deserves God's mercy. And he gives it to them anyways. No performance required. And my hope for you is that you would hear the clarity of God sending his son to pay the penalty for your sin, 
not because you need to earn it, but because he wants to give it. No performance required. And that you would trust him. So here's what I want to give you an opportunity to do. The worship team's going to come back. And I just want to give you an opportunity to do business with the Lord. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Like, like I, I want to build trust with you. So I'm not like, going to shock you and be like, hey, if you would just raise your hand, then after you raise your hand, be like, gotcha, stand up. <laughs> and so I'm just going to tell you up front what's going to happen. We're going to give you some time to worship and to pray. And the reason that we're going to worship is because there's something about worship that softens our hearts and just breaks down walls. We're going to sing Jesus paid it all. And we want to remind you that whatever debt of sin that you owe, it's been covered. Jesus has paid it all. And so tonight you get to play with house money. Uh, some of you may be into playing like cards or games like that. And so that, that's the term from playing poker. Playing with house money is this idea that you can put it all on the line because there's no cost to you. You don't have to hide anything. You don't have to be the king of Nineveh that you're trying to put your stuff on somebody else and go hide to protect yourself because Jesus has already worn your sin. And so you can come out of hiding. And so we just want to give you a few moments to let worship soften your hearts. And then I'm going to come back and I'm just going to invite you to stand and respond to the Lord if you say, I've been Nineveh, but I want to believe that God wants to give me his mercy. And maybe for you, you've never followed Jesus, and so it, for you, it's not a second chance. It's a, it's a first introduction. But for others of you, maybe you've walked with Jesus for a while, but you've just been playing the game. And maybe it's not a second chance. Maybe it's not a third chance. Maybe it's not a fourth chance. Maybe we don't have enough fingers and toes to count how many chances it's been. And yet Jesus has still paid it all, and the mercy of God is still available to you. So I'm going to pray, and the team is going to begin to lead us. And after we walk through that song, and maybe, maybe you don't sing, maybe you just need to hear this being sung over you. Maybe you just need to hear the mercy of God that's being, um, being led over you. And as you hear that, you have an honest conversation. Lord, I need to know you that way. I need to trust you that way. I need to know that your joy is going to be the strength that, that maintains me when I don't feel like I can live the way that you're calling me to live. I need to know that because of your great mercy for me that even if I don't understand everything, I still trust you with what I don't understand. So I just wanna give you a few minutes as we sing to do business with the Lord. Let me pray and then I'll be back in just a few moments. Jesus. There's just been this level of hope, anticipation, expectation of what you want to do in the hearts of these students tonight. That some have walked in here ravaged by sin. And yet, you and your great mercy will give them a second chance. Not because of a good preacher, not because of strong worship, not because of high-level production, not because of the fun of camp, though you use all of those things to point people towards you, but because you, being rich in mercy, want to make us alive. So, Lord, would you, would you remove every distraction? 
Would you remove the pressure of, of image management, trying to look like something to somebody else, and so we're not honest with you, when it really, what matters the most is you seeing us as we are? Would you remove the pressure of, of acting a certain way because that's, that's the role that we've always played, that's the corner that we've always taken up. And, and, and maybe we're the kid that's always the disinterested kid, but tonight, let us lower that bar because of your mercy and say, I wanna be the kid that, that wants to follow after you. And so Lord, tonight, remind us of what you've done through the cross of Jesus, that you took the wrath that we deserved and you relented from it because Jesus received it on our behalf. And would we come out of our hiding and respond to that by saying, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Speak to these students. It's in your name I pray. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you guys with some maturity in this moment. And so we're gonna have a little bit of movement. And so if you're standing, I'm gonna invite you to sit down. But I don't want you to lose focus about what you just heard and what you just sang, because I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't, I've, I don't know Jesus, but if he's paid all the debt of my sin, I'm, I wanna come out of hiding. Maybe this is your first time in a setting like this, and maybe what you have going on in the back of your mind right now is Somebody, like a voice whispering saying, he's gonna ask you to stand up, but you know you're not gonna be able to keep it up. The joy of the Lord's your strength. Maybe there's a voice whispering in the back of your mind, hey, just hang out for a little bit longer. You don't know enough. Your faith is always gonna be better than your theology. But if you have heard the message that Jesus forgives sin, and he makes a way for you to be part of the family, then would you be like Nineveh and believe God? Now here's the second part of the equation. Maybe you're here and you've been in church for a long time and you've heard these stories and you've heard these songs and, and you maybe can preach it better than I can, but at the same time you know that the reality is that you are not living the way that the Lord would call you to live that for you, the gospel is not just this starting point. It's not just this diving board that you jump off of. It's the pool that you dive into. That over and over again, the gospel should be renewing your heart and to hear the message that God sent his son, that he would forgive your sins and make you right before God. You may have believed that, but you serve a God of second chances. And there, sometimes we believe some things that we live out pretty poorly. And so in a moment, I'm gonna to count to three. And if you need to respond to the Lord and say, I wanna follow you, or renew in me the courage to follow you again, then when I say three, I just wanna invite you to stand. There's nothing magic about standing up other than it gives your leaders, your pastors, your friends, the opportunity to know that you're responding and to come around you and to care for you. Maybe there's something more going on and you want somebody to pray with you. We're gonna create time and space after this to, to, to be in here for a little bit, to, to pray and to go deeper and to walk through some of these things. But I'll also say this, maybe you feel like you can't wait and maybe you gotta to get to your leader and say, hey, I need you to pray for me right now because this is what I'm carrying. Nobody that loves Jesus is gonna be like, well, you climbed over me. 
they would lay down and let you walk on their back if that's what it took for you to get closer to Jesus. And so don't let anything distract you or keep you from getting to him because Jesus has closed that chasm in a way that nothing else could. And so one, two, Jesus has paid it all. Will you come out of hiding and respond? Three, if that's you, will you stand? Amen. Can I call you out for a second? It's not bad. Um, there's, a, there's a theory called thresholds. And it's this idea that like, um, sometimes nobody will, somebody won't do something if nobody else has done it, right? And then sometimes people will do it when a thousand other people have done it. So like, like, you probably wouldn't necessarily join a riot and be the first person. You shouldn't be the second person either. But if enough people are doing it, other people were doing it. And when I said three, you jumped up and like, I don't care who else is doing it. I'm going after Jesus tonight. Thank you. Because when you did that, other people had confidence to do that. Maybe you're sitting next to a friend and you're like, some of the things you've told me, I know you need to do that. I want to give you the encouragement to turn to your friend and be like, hey, if you need to stand up, I'll stand up with you. And so I just, I just don't want to miss anybody tonight before we pray. And here's the thing, there's nothing magic. You don't need me. You could be in your room three weeks from now laying in bed saying, man, Jesus paid it all and I need to respond to that. And you don't need me. But I would also tell you that there is no time like the present. Uh, when I was a kid in youth group, uh, my, my youth pastor used to say, man, what happens to you if you die tonight? Which is really morbid and scary to say to kids. He's like, but I want to say it this way. What if you wake up and live tomorrow morning? Do you want to live with the same weight and the same exhaustion of performing do you want to still live with the emptiness that sin, it keeps robbing you of the life that you should have? Or is today the day of salvation? Is today the day that Jesus rescues you out of all of that and allows you to be free? And so I just, if, if, you, if you didn't stand, I just, want, I just want to be, I want to give you a second chance. I'm not going to count again, but if that's you and you feel the Lord drawing you to stand, will you stand up and respond to him? And if you're a friend next to somebody, will you lean over and say, if you need to stand, I'll stand with you. We'll just wait just a couple more seconds. All right. Amen. And so now I'm going to pray but I'm not gonna pray for you, I'm gonna pray with you. I wanna give you the opportunity to, to talk to the Lord. And the Lord's not nervous, he can hear all of us at the same time. And so maybe all you have faith enough to say is, Jesus, if you're real and you forgive me, make me yours. 
Or maybe you've got a lot more language because you've been around the church longer, but I just, I want to begin to pray and like, like I just want us to begin to speak out of confidence that if he has made a way for us that we don't have to come in hiding, but we could actually say, hey, if the Lord sees us, he'll relent because he has through Jesus. So I want to pray over you, with you as you pray. So can we go before the Lord? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for my little brothers and sisters who just stood up and said, Jesus, you're what I want. I want you more than approval. I want you more than comfort. I want you more than, uh, than trying to control my life. I want you more than maybe the status of, of being that kid would give me. I want you more than anything. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who said, man, I don't have all this figured out, but I trust that you're good, so I'll follow after you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who said, I don't know how to make everything right that I've done wrong, but I trust that you've paid the debt of my sin. And so, Lord, would you, would you come near them? Feelings aren't everything, but there's this way that you move in our emotions to awaken our hearts to know that you're doing something right now. And so, Lord, would you even give them the witness by the Spirit, witnessing to their spirits, saying, you are a child of God. Would they know that they walked in this place one way and tonight they're walking out a different way, that they are walking out with a freedom that they didn't have before. They're walking out being approved of. The Bible would say that you sing and delight over us. And so would, they, would you allow them just to hear a little bit of that right now? That would you quiet the whispers of the enemy that would tell them that they need to do more, that they are not worthy and that they can't keep it up? And would they just hear... I love you, son. I love you, daughter. You're mine. And so, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you save. Thank you that you bring us into the family, that we're not just hiding from you, hoping that you don't remember what we did wrong, but we get what you get. We get the approval from, of the Father, that we get this measure of hope that is not just a good idea, but it's alive and well. Would you stir us and lead us through that? It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.